the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See What the Game website, and your host for the See What the Game podcast. In a moment, I will be joined by Brad Geiger, and we'll take a look back at the Buffs' 35-7 victory over Northern Colorado, then present our tips, our evaluation of how the showdown at Mile High Stadium between CU and number 6 Texas A&M might play out. As we are now into the regular season, we will be posting new episodes weekly, hopefully on Tuesdays. In order to ensure you don't miss a single review preview episode, please remember to subscribe to the podcast at your favorite site, and as always, feel free to give us a rave review and a five-star rating. Against Northern Colorado, the Buffs ran the ball effectively, didn't turn the ball over, and held the opposing offense to a single touchdown. The level of opposition, however, will be raised considerably this weekend as the Aggies from College Station invade the Mile High City. Will the Buffs be up to the challenge? Let's find out. Okay, we are back and we're talking with one Brad Geiger coming to us from Highlands Ranch, Colorado. How is Brad doing? Brad's well, just returned from a solo vacation. Glad to be back in the ranch and uh, glad that we are talking about a one and no CU team. Yes. Well, we were going to be joined by our good buddy, Neil Langland, who normally is just looking down upon the people of Denver, but now apparently he's looking down on the people of Denver because he's not joining us this evening. So it's just going to be the two of us like old times. And this is our first review preview of the season. We're going to be doing this every week, talk about the previous game for a few minutes, and then move on to our tips, our preview for the upcoming game. So talking about Colorado 35, Northern Colorado 7, let's talk about the offense for CU. Scored 35 points. Team averaged 28 points a game last year, so that's an improvement. No turnovers. 281 rushing yards and the quarterback that uh, didn't throw an interception and completed two thirds of his passes. So uh, straight A's for the offense. Oh no, unfortunately not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, we predicted this. Uh, The offensive line played probably as well or slightly better than we've expected. And of course, having four players score rushing touchdowns, you know, you're never going to complain about that. We, uh, we had all hoped that CU would rely on leaning on UNC and they would get tired and they did. That was all 
both predictable and was glad to have it there. That said, Lewis looked like a freshman starting his first game. Yes, he completed two thirds of his passes. Um, we would prefer a few yards. Yeah, we would prefer that few of those went perhaps a bit farther than they had. And you know, the the offense lacked big plays, uh, except for a couple of exceptions. But yeah, the offense dominated a talent wise inferior defense. No one would call the play calling exciting or innovative, but it was, you know, overall an offense, a good solid B performance against a team that they should have beat. Well, should they have beaten them even worse? There was scoreless first quarter. She was only up 14 to nothing at half, and it was still really a game 21 seven late into the third. That's a little more scary for going up against a team that is not like Montana predicted to do well in the Big Sky Conference. This is a team that's predicted to finish 12th or dead last at 13th in the Big Sky Conference. So what do we take from the Brandon Lewis effort? 10 to 15, 102 yards, like you mentioned, no real big plays, longest pass, lose 23 yards. He did have a nice touchdown pass to Montana, Lamonius Craig, that may or may not have been out of bounds. And... Other than that, a whole lot of nada. He missed a wide-open Daniel Arias in the in the second half. But, again, as you mentioned, he is a freshman. This is just the second freshman to start the first game of the season since 1959 for the Buffs, with the other, of course, being... Cody. Cody Hawkins, yes. 2007 beat uh, CSU down in Denver, so... He is still a freshman. Yes, he did get some action in the Alamo Bowl, but uh, in the COVID world, he remains a freshman, and he did win his first game. He didn't fumble the ball. He didn't throw the ball into the arms of an opposing team member. So do you think that there was an intentionally vanilla offense trying to keep some plays away from Texas A&M, or was it just poor execution and some bad decision-making? What... Why wasn't it 35 to seven in the first quarter or the first half anyway? Certainly there was some bad decisions. Certainly there were some, some non-decisions. Uh, he looked like a quarterback who had been told to play within himself yes. um, and who had been told that his job was to not lose us the game. The offense always seemed confident that when the time came, they could run the ball. And it turned out when the time came, they could run the ball. <sighs> It looked like an offense playing to Lewis's skills, but also to his weaknesses. It looked like an offense trying to win the game um, and trying to teach their quarterback, not anybody who had faith that he could just go out and blow somebody out. Yeah, he did seem a little more aggressive. It seemed like the play calling was a little more aggressive for him to actually hang on to the ball some designated runs in the second half that weren't there in the first half. It, it was a little more of, you know, let, let Brandon be Brandon as opposed to God, we got to hope this guy stays upright for 12 games and protect him at all costs. But yes, it certainly been drilled into him that when in doubt, run away, throw it away and live to play another, another play, which again, when you have, Zero depth the quarterback is not a bad philosophy of life, but when you're going up against better opposition, that's not going to perhaps serve you as well. You're going to need to let him show why he was recruited to play in a Pac-12 school to start with. 
Krill, but he wasn't recruited to play as freshman, I guess is, is the answer. And, you know, one of the things we've seen from this coaching staff, and that is, you know, some of it is concerning, is that they are very focused on winning games. And they do that with whatever style they think is going to win them the game. And they do that against lesser opponents. Um, they try to do it against better opponents. And we've seen what happens when that works and when it doesn't. Well, on the defensive side of the ball, now, if these stats were to hold up through the entire season, we would be having a parade for new defensive coordinator Chris Wilson. 256 yards, total yards allowed, which uh, presently ranks CU 24th in the nation in total defense. Seven points tied for 11th in the nation in scoring defense. And 20 rushing yards, which ties you for 7th in the nation. Now, we'll talk about Texas A&M a little bit later, but they will probably have more than 20 rushing yards in the first series, much less the, the entire game. But really hard to find fault when the bottom line is scoring defense and the, the defense only gave up seven points. Now, the touchdown they gave up, two guys collided instead of actually tackling the person with the ball. They sort of knocked each other down. But for the most part, I think you'd have to say that the defense played pretty well. Yeah, I mean, again, talent will out, uh, playing together will out. UNC has not played. It looks like McCaffrey, the quarterback, not McCaffrey, the assistant coach, and not McCaffrey, the head coach. But <laughs> McCaffrey, the quarterback, has some skills. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd like to think that this UNC team may be a little bit better than they're expected to be. And yeah, there were a couple of times where the coverage perhaps could have been better. But no, there's nothing complained about. The defense stood up, did what they needed to do, except for that little thing about following the rules. <laughs> you mean the 118 yards in penalties? That, <laughs> that particular uh, <laughs> usage of the rules? Uh, uh, yeah. You know, dr drive saving penalties by the defense. You know, those are those are painful to watch. Yes. The one scoring drive that UNC had, it was fourth and one. They were going to go for it. There was a false start, which would have made it fourth and six, and they would have had to punt the ball, except for there was an unsportsmanlike conduct on Jalen Sammy, I believe, was the guilty person on that occasion. And then another third and 10, third and eight or whatever it was, a pass interference. So 30 yards in penalties on their touchdown drive. So uh, the offense was not without fault. There were some false starts and things along the line there. But for a program where the coach had said in his press conference leading up to the game, Carl Durrell was talking about, well, we don't have a game plan for these guys. 65 new players on the roster haven't played in two years. We have absolutely no idea what the new coaching staff is going to do. So we're just going to focus on us and not making mistakes and playing good assignment football. 118 yards and penalties, not cutting it. And Carl was quite honest after the game that he did not feel that was cutting it. And he said, that's not what my teams do. When a coach refers to it being offensive personally, you know, you know, it's a, a matter of emphasis. You can only hope that practice will be unpleasant for mistakes this next week while they try to get ready for a vastly better team. But obviously, first 
game of the season. And some of them, you know, communication issues, the pass interference, I didn't think was particularly egregious. Yeah. And sportsmanlike was silly. Yeah. And they were just there. There are penalties of aggression. There are penalties of communication and there are penalties of thoughtlessness. You can handle the first. You can correct the second and you punish the third. And you know that some of that's going to have to happen. Yeah. And it wasn't that the referees were just out to get CU. I mean, the CU's first scoring drive, which wasn't, you know, didn't culminate into a point until the early part of the second quarter. CU got the ball after a Dimitri Stanley punt return and was hit out of bounds, got it to the 43, moved it to the 28, and was facing a third and 20 after a sack. And Brandon Lewis threw the ball away and was hit out of bounds, sustaining the drive. So what would have been a 43-yard drive was only a 28-yard drive, and then there's 15 more yards and penalties on top of that. And it still took CU seven plays to score. So UNC certainly had its errors of omission and commission along the way. But, mm-hmm. yeah, well, you, you can't have a stat line where you have more yards and penalties than you have in passing and expect to be successful. but. That being said, Colorado is 1-0, and John Wilner would have predicted that the entire conference would have been 1-0, except for UCLA, which would have been 2-0. But instead of going 12-0 in the full week one, the Pac-12 went 6-6, six and six, and the Pac-12 North went 1-5. What was your reaction to the Pac-12 not giving anyone other than UCLA giving much credence to the idea that it is a conference worthy of producing a college football playoff participant. Well, why would anybody expect uh, at this point to say that? I mean, people are impressed with UCLA. Remember, let's remember that LSU may not be LSU of 2019. It may be LSU of 2020. Right. So we are yet to see that. I guess nobody is shocked that Cal could lose to Nevada. Nobody would be shocked that Cal could lose to nearly anyone. Washington? Okay, which is more shocking, UCLA beating LSU or Washington losing to Montana and being unable to score essentially at all? They gave one touchdown. They were strangled by Montana. And not to denigrate Montana, they're an excellent FCS school. FCS being the key three letters there, <laughs> um, you know, we are, everybody thought Washington versus Oregon in the, in the, in the North. Now it's who. <laughs> yeah. Oregon barely beat Fresno state was behind in the fourth quarter. And yet they are all alone atop the division at this point. The only team that even won a game in the North division. And yeah, Montana is a, a, a top 10 FCS school this year. They have lost four times in a row to Montana State, but we'll just leave that aside for the moment. Um, yes, we have had to throw that in there. You know, go Bobcats. And the Bobcats almost beat Wyoming. They were with, you know, 59 minutes into the game. They were ahead of uh, Wyoming on the road. Mm-hmm. Much, um, much discussion about that in my household. I, I, I wasn't going to bring that up, but uh, somehow I managed to bring it up anyway. I noticed. <laughs> but I don't know. If, Cal was as is necessarily as bad as that. Ben Stanford did not have anything going forward against K-State. So apparently David Shaw had convinced his players that playing at 9 a.m. Pacific time was going to make it impossible for them to compete. 
Washington State losing to Utah State. Arizona losing to BYU is not a surprise. Um, actually, it's kind of surprising to me. It was as close as it would have been, even though BYU lost more players than almost any other team in the country. So, yeah, it uh, does not bode well. I don't know what's going to become of UCLA. I think you're right that it may be as much about LSU as it is about UCLA, but at least for the upcoming week and maybe the coming few weeks, UCLA is going to be a ranked team now and everybody's going to be back on the Chip Kelly bandwagon and really excited about the future of year four of Chip Kelly, maybe actually having a winning record in his fourth year as head coach at the at Westwood. Well, and you know, they got Fresno state coming there in, yeah. in two weeks. So three and oh, you know, they've got a week off and three and oh looks very doable. And then they play Stanford who were never in the game against K state. I got to watch some of that game and they were not even there. The, the K state was clearly the better team. Yeah. And then Stanford's got to play USC. So, you know, the, the Cardinal is not looking like it's going to get off to a good rousing start. And then Washington State's just a, a mess right now. Our good friend Sam Neuer started for Oregon State, um, did not finish. He got pulled in the third quarter after throwing an interception in the loss to Purdue. I don't think it was particularly shameful that they lost to Purdue, not that Purdue is a great Big Ten team, but going on the road against the Big Ten team, good for them to even have that game scheduled. We may I, see more of those. <laughs> yes, yes, we might. But, you know, Sam Neuer did not prove to be this the savior of the Beaver Nation, um, at least in game one. We'll see how much playing time he has going forward. And I, I watched a little bit of that, and it reminded everything about, uh, about Sam Neuer that we liked and did not like, not a pass deep decently effective but not anything to start any quarterback yeah he's not going to he's he can keep you from losing a game but he's not going to win you a game mm-hmm. it's kind of his mo and that's kind of what he did last year and he had good support on defense and a good rushing attack he didn't lose the games that he started he but he didn't go out and win games so now, oregon state doesn't have a jarek brossard yeah this, unfortunately or an alex fontenot yeah. <laughs> or a Deion Smith or yeah. Fortunately, we have some depth at running back. That was like you mentioned that uh, first time since 2015 and see you had four running backs score touchdowns in the same rushing touchdowns in the same game. Now, speaking of teams that might have done a little bit, perhaps less than expected, Texas A&M beat Kent State 41 to 10. Anybody looking at the box score would say, okay, well, that's what you'd expect from the number six team in the country mm-hmm. going up against a team from the Mid-American Conference. But that game was only 10-3 at halftime. And quarterback, Haynes King, did end up throwing for 292 yards, two touchdowns, but also threw three interceptions. And they ended up, again, winning 41-10. to But let's talk a little bit about our tips for the upcoming game, which will be 1.30 Mountain Time, Denver, Mile High Stadium, or what, what's the name of it these days? Empower, Empower Field. Empower Field. Um, At Mile High Field at Empower Stadium, excuse me. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> Looking at the roster, here's a big surprise. There's a lot of talented players on the roster. 24-7 Sports did a composite 
of all the teams in the rankings of the rosters. And Texas A&M has five five stars, 43 four stars, and 36 three stars. And CU has seven four stars and 75 three stars. Texas A&M is ranked eighth overall in terms of personnel, in terms of star rankings. Colorado is 48th in the country. So basically 48 players are either four or five star players. So the entire, in essence, two deep on their roster are four or five star players. Sounds pretty good, right? I have seen people say that Texas A&M may be the most talented team in the country, which is, you know, frightening. Yeah. Um, And they are not poorly coached and they're used to, uh, you know, where they play. They have to be talented just to have a chance. I mean, yeah. Let's face it, the SEC is the land of the five star. Right. And if they were still in the Big 12, they would probably be having the Oklahoma showdown every year, would be for the league championship. That would be the, you know, the two teams because Texas has been, for Texas anyway, down of late when Iowa State is looked at as being the number two team in the, in the conference. Um, just in terms of preseason all SEC talent. Okay, so if we're talking about first team all SEC, and think about the teams in the SEC, if you're on that first team, that's pretty much the golden ticket to the NFL. That mm-hmm. fair statement that yeah, I mean that, that looked pretty good on the resume. That looks good on the resume, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Auburn's been known to play football a little bit. Um, yeah, they, yeah. If you, if you can make first team all sec, you're probably going to do okay. Yeah. And Texas A&M has four first team preseason, all sec players, including running back Isaiah Spiller. They've got a tight end Jalen Weidermeyer, who's a name we probably will learn here about this weekend, uh, an offensive lineman, defensive lineman. They've got seven on all, all three of the teams, seven players all together including a player that uh, Aeneas Smith, who had eight catches for 100 yards and two touchdowns against Kansas State last weekend. You look at the all-SEC teams, and his name shows up three times. So I'm just guessing that he's somebody that uh, Colorado's going to have to key upon That make for a fair statement. Uh, I think uh, not, of course, being on the coaching staff, I can't make full predictions. But <laughs> He simply he's one of those just freak athletes that CU is going to have a difficult time matching up for. We, yeah. we don't have a guy like that on the roster. And so that's, you know, concerning. And there's a couple other guys on there, too. They're probably better or more talented on offense than they are on defense, which you know may cause them problems later in the SEC season, but could allow them to score, sadly, a few points next week yes and talking about the idea that they're too deep in four stars that isaiah spiller's first team all sec had 113 yards against k-state and he wasn't the leading rusher on the team and the weakness for a m coming into the season was supposed to be the fact that they were replacing most of their offensive line so all they did in their first game is produce two 100 yard rushers and 101 100 yard receiver and, of course, you know, it was only 10-3. Haynes King was out there throwing interceptions in the first half and keeping Kent State in the game. So that gives perhaps some reason for 
hope in terms of if Kent State's talent can match up for a half against Texas A&M, then no reason why Colorado's talent can't do that as well. Well, I mean, the, Kent State ran for 226 yards against Texas A&M. The thing we do is run four yards. Yes. You know, obviously, we are not going to win a 41-38 shootout with Texas A&M. If, if, if A&M scores as they are capable of scoring, and our defense is going to have to play better than they are expected to, it still is going to have to be about the offense holding the ball. I mean, that's what it's. And if Kent State can run for 226, then there is some hope that CU, which one would think was more talented at that, could do the same. Well, that would seemingly be the game plan that with Brendan Lewis, even though it's a neutral site slash close to being a home game, there are going to be a lot of Aggie fans there. And he, you know, certainly with defensive linemen that are all SEC. They're going to be coming after him and they're, you know, put eight in the box and dare the young man to beat them. And I don't know if our passing game is going to be up to that. I was kind of disappointed that there wasn't more Brady Russell in the Northern Colorado game or tight ends at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, maybe hoping against hope that she was just being vanilla and trying not to have to run any more plays than they had to against Northern Colorado. They just ran enough plays to win the game and are saving some formations or some use of talent that we didn't see um, against the Bears that we are going to see against the Aggies. Well, we can we can hope that uh, there's going to be more creativity in the offense and Brandon Lewis is going to have the ability to make those plays. We have to hope. I mean, that that is one of the intangibles is we yeah. don't know how this coaching staff. I mean, this is the toughest team that this coaching staff has faced to date. Yeah. Agree. Uh, yeah. They're more talented than Texas and Texas, you know, blew us out. Even with opt outs on both sides of the ball, it was not it was not close in terms of talent and production. My fear is that even if it was vanilla against UNC, Brandon Lewis was still not making the right reads. That from the 72nd row, you could see where the plane was designed to go and he would not pull the trigger. And then he would start running around and then end up throwing the ball away. And he either has to get the confidence to make those types of passes or they're just going to make it harder and harder for him to do it because he's not going to have a lot more time to throw the ball, certainly when it comes to going up against the Texas A&M pass rush. So whether it's on his feet with scrambling ability or actually making those throws across the middle or the deep outs, he's going to have to show them. He's going to have to prove to Texas A&M that he has the ability to lead the team because Texas A&M can look at the stat sheet as well and they can say, okay, we didn't do a good job of stopping the run, so that's going to be our focus. If we can stop the run, we can beat Colorado. Yeah, I mean, anybody knows that. And, you know, that Texas A&M coaching staff, while perhaps not fully embraced by some of the Texas A&M alumni who have sometimes unrealistic expectations. Um, <laughs> you could say that under your breath. No one certainly, certainly know what they're doing. And, you know, they're – is nothing surprising in the UNC tape and the UNC film 
And so, yeah, we are going to have to see a different Brendan Lewis, and we're going to have to sadly see it early because they will come out and stand there and say, okay, we know what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, if there are any tricks up the sleeve of, you know, in the Darren Cheverini playbook, why not? Um, Because it's a non-conference game. You don't want to get the young player hurt, obviously. We have to keep him upright for the next 11 games at least. So you're not going to want to do anything crazy, but there's got to be some plays in the playbook that they're using this week that we haven't seen in the first seven games of the Carl Durrell era if they're going to be able to pull off the upset. Yeah, and it's and it's an upset, and it'll be a big upset. I mean, let's understand we are – everybody in the country – understandably knows that Texas A&M should win this game, go away. And that's, you know, never a fun position to be in, even at home or whatever this game is. You know, we're just to that point where we're against a team like that. Listen, all but about eight teams in the country would be underdogs against Texas A&M. Right. We are not one of that group. Yeah. We're, I was a little surprised at the line, 17 points, which is a lot, you know, for two power five teams going up against one another. But I wouldn't have been surprised if it was in the 20s. It was actually kind of surprising to me that it was only 17 points. Maybe I'm overly optimistic that way. But, uh, yeah, I thought the line was going to be three touchdowns. Yeah, and, and, and it could be by the time it gets to, to game time. But, you know, it seems to at least indicate that the odds makers think that CU can, I think, suspect, run the ball and play good enough defense to keep it from being ugly. Yeah. So, I mean, as of last week, there are only about 53,000 tickets sold. You assume that the Aggies, and this is where Colorado's black and gold colors works against them. We don't have the maroon or, you know, the scarlet or, you know, the Nebraska red where it stands out when everybody wears head-to-toe school colors. So it's going to look on TV, at least, that there is a significant A&M contingent at the game. Is it neutral? Is it home field? Is it Does it matter in terms of the crowd? I You know, hats off. You know, go back to the UNC game for just five seconds. You and I have lamented about the student section not coming to games until mid to late first quarter for decades now. And props to the student section. They were there in full force. The entire student section was full. I mean, it was they wanted to see Ralphie. And, you know, half of them, meaning maybe 40% of them, have never seen a college football game. If you count last year's freshman class, and this year's freshman class, none of them had a chance to go to a football game. So this is their first opportunity to actually go to the game. And they were there before kickoff, and they were loud the entire game. I suspect there's going to be a good contingent of students that's going to be at the game uh, against Texas A&M. But since it's September 11th, I, I assume that Texas A&M is going to bring their band, and we love their band. So the there's going to be plenty of fans on both sides of the ball. So it's really not... Uh, well, officially, it's a neutral site game, but it's probably going to be at best a neutral site game. I fear that's true. You know, one thing that was kind of universal this week across all of college football is 
fans were very, 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 very excited to be back in the stands. Yeah. Um, you know, everything was sold out. Everybody was excited. You can certainly debate the wisdom of putting a large number of people <laughs> together yet, yeah. but it certainly was working. Well, and everybody was thrilled to be there. And so, you know, I think it'll be an excited crowd, but I agree with you. I would be, wouldn't be surprised if it's 60, 40 CU, I would be sad if it was 50, 50 CU, but not shocked. Right. Any intangibles that work in favor of the buffs? I looked at the roster, the 85 man roster, 22 Texas players. So there is some incentive there to play in front of the home fans. And perhaps some of these players were not, recruited by Texas A&M and maybe wanted to be recruited by Texas A&M and have something of a chip on their shoulder. But that being said, you could probably see that about almost all of the UNC roster about Colorado, that these players would have probably preferred to play at CU and didn't get a chance to play at CU. So you had their entire roster with a chip on their shoulder and it didn't serve them very well. So I was trying to find any straws to cling to um, does having 22 Texans on the roster help the buffs at all? Better than not, I suppose. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have all the intangibles that go with being an underdog, which in no way compared to a Texas A&M team that has thoughts that they can compete in the SEC. We are viewed as a team to get past, and it ain't look like they're looking past us at New Mexico. Yeah, the team that <laughs> struggled with Houston Baptist, which I think in the history of Colorado football, this would have to be this, the only time in two consecutive weeks that Houston Baptist has been mentioned because Northern Colorado is traveling to play Houston Baptist, Houston Baptist. this week, yeah. the team that almost beat New Mexico. I looked at the football power index and it was like 99.1% chance that Texas A&M was going to beat New Mexico. So not really too much fear for next week's game, whereas CU gets to, you know, play a real more of an even game, big favorite against UNC, big underdog against AM. Minnesota is kind of really the yardstick. Um, not that we're looking forward or looking ahead. Look, we're certainly not looking past Texas AM, but Texas AM doesn't have any reason not to concentrate on this game with uh an Alabama or an LSU you know, coming up in the, the weekend to follow. So Texas A&M is going to be focused on this game. The previously mentioned ESPN football power index gave Texas A&M an 88% chance of winning this game. So we are 11% better off than New Mexico. Read into that what you will. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, again, there is much we can learn from this game. It is unlikely to result in a win, but this is a team that now needs to know how well they can play against the big boys. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is perhaps less about how we do about Texas A&M than whether or not we can learn enough from this game to take it into games against UCLA, USC, Arizona State. Right. I mean, there, there's certainly no reason that we shouldn't watch this game. Um, you know, the 2007 CU team came off a two and 10 season and beat number three, Oklahoma. Anybody can beat anybody. Montana can beat Washington. 
They'd beaten Washington once before, looked it up, 1920, they beat him, beat the Huskies. Um, so it's not unprecedented for University of Montana to beat University of Washington, but it doesn't happen all that often. But it's not all doom and gloom, like you say. There's plenty that can be taken from this game if Colorado can play competitively for any stretch of the game. Not falling behind 21 to nothing in the first quarter and then playing even the rest of the game is not competitive, right? Right. But a 10-3 at halftime, like Kent State got, we'd be pretty excited about that. Oh, I mean that would be that would that would be progress for this team. It would show better if we can hold this office to ten points in each half. That would be a sign that we can play with anybody in the Pac-12. To be honest with you, yeah. Well, and again, since the Pac-12 has not shown itself other than UCLA to be a positive surprise, it'll be interesting to see the lead-in game. Not that there were the the prime game, but the noon kickoff. Game is, of course, Oregon at Ohio State, and then our game follows that game. So it'll be kind of interesting to see the commentary at the beginning of the CU game, depending on how Oregon fares against Ohio State in the, the game leading up to mm-hmm. uh, you know the CU game. Um, and, and an Ohio State team that has its questions, too. Their, their new quarterback played fine against Minnesota, but it weren't great. Um, yeah. we, we shall, you know, it will be interesting to see, we're going to judge the entire pack 12 by that game and perhaps how well LSU does next week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll see how the, how worthy that win turns out to be. And of course, Utah and Arizona state have to go out and prove themselves as well. If they want to be contenders and USC, you know, did win its game against San Jose state and play Stanford this weekend. So they're going to continue to be ranked. So both the LA school is going to be ranked. We'll see as we're taping now, you know, what obviously I believe UCLA is going to enter the rankings, whether or not Utah 24, Arizona State at 25 will stay in based upon their lackluster performances against FCS schools holds up. But yeah, right now, Colorado in pretty much any pecking order you want to look at is still five in the Pac-12 South. So mm-hmm. If the Buffs want to do something about it, they have the opportunity to do something about it. Um, well, go ahead. There's no reason to believe they can't. That's the thing. Nobody has, as you've yet, proven themselves to be substantially better. Again, UCLA may be the exception, probably is the exception right now. But other than that, we we didn't learn much that first weekend that we didn't know except for that the north is even worse than we feared right okay so prediction time um how do you see colorado versus texas number six might move up to number five we haven't seen the rankings yet for this week how will see you versus texas a&m on fox 130 mountain time what will the score be about 4 30 to 5 o'clock saturday afternoon i think cu can run the ball I think that they can protect the ball well enough to not have it be the blowout it could be. 38-17 A&M. Okay. Beats the, beats the spread. And also taking the over. I think the over-under is like 52-53. So mm-hmm. you got to write about 55 points. So you heard it here. Um, if CU gets... 
this is kind of the way I was judging actually the UNC game. I said, you know, my in my little weak brain, if UNC scored more than 20 or CU didn't score at least 30, it would have been a disaster. You know, and it turned out that CU got over 30 and kept UNC under 20. But yeah, I have a feeling that that's kind of be the measuring stick for this game as well. If CU gets over 20 points, we're going to have something to talk about. If AM is less than 30 points, we're going to have something to talk about. But more likely than not, the, the numbers are going to go the other way. So we'll let that be the almost last word. I'll let you have the last word. Tell us uh, something positive about uh, Labor Day weekend, about the family, about living in Colorado, something to lead into September 11th game at Mile High Stadium. It will be a gorgeous day in Denver, and it is a day to watch football. We are, for better or for worse, we are in the midst of a true, full crowd football season, and that's something to rejoice in, no matter the score, no matter how it's going. Let's remember how different it was than it it is than it was a year ago. Very good. Well, we will watch, we'll hope, and we will see you next week. Most definitely. Thank you for listening. Now, if you're wondering what became of my prediction for the CU Texas A&M game, you'll have to wait until Wednesday morning. On Wednesdays, I post on the CU at the Game website my detailed tips for the game. With, again, tips standing for a look at the talent of the opposition, the intangibles for each game, preparation or scheduling issues, and then, of course, relevant stats for each contest. Now that we are into the regular season, the website schedule is set. The podcast tips will be posted on Tuesdays, with my written tips on Wednesdays. Friday will bring the Friday Fast Facts column, with a look at news and notes which will help you prepare for Saturday's game, and give you some insights and trivia to impress your fellow Buff fans. On Saturdays of game week, the game story will usually be posted within an hour or two after the game, depending on whether I'm at the game and how quickly I'll be able to get to my laptop. On Sunday mornings each weekend, I'll be posting my essay for the game. In addition to all of this content, the Colorado Daily and Pac-12 Notes headings are updated multiple times each day. Long story short, if you haven't bookmarked the See What the Game website, do it now. Until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to See you at the game at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.